So the, uh, my title of my preach this morning is Knowing Nothing Except Christ Crucified. Knowing Nothing Except Christ Crucified. Wonderful hymn goes like this. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See, from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life my all father we thank you for this time today as we gather in your in your name in the name of your son thank you for jesus thank you that you loved us so much that you sent him thank you lord jesus that you loved us so much that you came that you were obedient to come and take on the nature of a servant and your obedience extended even to death lord god and even death upon a cross and this morning as we spend a bit of time just looking at that i pray that your grace would flow to your people. For those that, that are not yet in a saving relationship with you, I pray this morning they would come to that. And for those, Lord God, that, um, that do know you, I pray that every ounce of condemnation and self-exaltation, self-dependence, Lord God, would be, would be removed from their lives. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. So I'm going to set my timer now. I keep forgetting to do that. There we go. It's done. My arm will buzz when I'm going to stop. Okay. I met with somebody back in Dubai the other day. Um, one of the guys that did, um, has been to church for a while, but he's been watching online. So we've also been gathering. So I love to watch the church gather like this. I think it's so important. I'm, I'm glad that you contend to be together. Anyway, this guy was doing some counseling with him, and he said, do you mind if I say something to you? I said, of course. I mean, anytime. He says, can I give you some feedback on your preaching? And I thought, oh, this is not going to end well. <laughs> this is exactly what I want, is feedback on my preaching. So he says, your preaching used to be so good. <laughs> he said, you used to quote statistics and things like that. It was so interesting. And it was so funny that he shared that with me because just that morning I'd been in my devotions in the scripture from 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 5. And you'll see... I literally spent that morning in it, and then this guy comes to me and tells me I need more statistics in my preaching. Paul writing now, and he says this. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come uh, proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And he means the human wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. And my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, if you leave the room today going, wow, what an amazing preacher, instead of saying, wow, what an amazing Savior, then we've missed the mark with our preaching. It's not that our preaching mustn't be engaging and all of those things. It's just that we've got to be so careful that we don't come up with gimmicks or with the wisdom that tickles the ears of men, that we say the things that people want to hear when God gives us a message that we are called to proclaim. I think Paul must have faced this kind of dilemma when he was coming to this church in Corinth. Corinth was a city of intellectuals, philosophers, um, 
You can imagine Paul, he's a learned man. They say by the, the age of 21, he had two PhDs. That's serious. I mean, this guy knew his stuff. And uh, he must have been tempted as he approached the city. You kind of imagine him walking with his companions like this towards Corinth. They've been walking for some days. And uh, I'm imagining that there's a rise that they're on as they look down on the city of Corinth. And Paul's approaching there with his walking stick and his scrolls and his backpack like this. And he's preparing to come into this new city that hasn't heard the gospel yet. And he says to his companions that are walking with him, Hey guys, go on a bit. I just want to pause you for a moment. And I see him looking over the city, even as I've uh, staying at Suminovesi's uh, place, I've looked over the city of Bulawayo every single day. He stood there and he said, I will know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. I will know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. I will not be tempted into what is going on here. And the reason for that, we can see if we go back just into chapter 1 and verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize or to preach the gospel, sorry, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Now, obviously, the cross can't be emptied of its power. The cross has power, but the message of the cross can be emptied of its power. When our, when our intent is to impress people with the, the words that we use or the cleverness of our message, then we're emptying the cross of its power. When our attempt is to win an argument, Instead of preaching the unadulterated message of the cross, then we're emptying the cross of its power. I heard the story of a guy who had met with an atheist and he spent one Saturday with him preaching the gospel to him, like trying to dismantle every argument this guy could have. And uh, the, 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 the gospel is rational. It's, uh, you know, it's a rational argument and you can argue it. And so this guy argued and argued and argued and argued for five hours with this atheist. And eventually the guy said to him, okay, I believe in your Jesus. He said he even went to church the next Sunday, which was Easter Sunday, and cried in church. But then the weeks went by, and he started writing letters to this guy, criticizing this, that, and the next thing. And he says, ironically, he says after six months, the guy left the church and ended up joining a nudist colony. And the, and the, the warning here, and this is what war, Paul's warning us about, is that when we preach this way, that the faith of those that we preach to rests upon the wisdom of man instead upon the power of God. You see, the, the ultimate foundation of our faith has to be something that is unshakable. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, verses after the one I've just read, which says this, For the word of the cross, which is the message of the gospel that we preach, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And it echoes something Paul says in his letter to the Romans in chapter 1 and verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I don't need to polish it up. I don't need to make it look fancier. I don't need to modernize it. I don't need to make it more relevant. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Salvation is not an intellectual agreement. Salvation is the work of, Jesus, of the resurrection power of Jesus in the inner man. And I try and keep this in mind when I'm having spiritual conversations with unbelievers, and I, and I hope you will do the same as well. That when I'm sharing about Christ crucified, what comes from my mouth is not just words. We understand that when I speak, the, the, this morning the, the, the amplification here is taking the vibrations that come from my mouth 
and amplify them so that these vibrations will reach your ears. And that's what's happening. It's just vibrations. I, I'm forming these sounds and they're coming to you. But they're not just words. They're not just um, vibrations. They are uh, words that are infused with the very resurrection power of Christ. They're able to pierce the heart and, and remove the spiritual blindness from those that cannot see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My ordinary vibration words, when I take a word and they become the words of the message of salvation, they are infused with resurrection power. They break open prison doors. And Paul's exhortation to all of us is that when you're sharing the gospel, you need to know that the power of God himself is at work when we share it. I, I can stand up here today and I've and put all my effort into preparing a word that I, that I hope will, will hold your attention and your heart. But if there's no power of God in it, then it's nothing. That's what my prayer is and Linda's prayer is and those that are praying for the preacher this morning is that, Lord, let the power of God go out today. I heard the story that Charles Spurgeon, who was called the Prince of Preachers, preached regularly to thousands in, the, in his church in London for years and years and years, saw tens of thousands, I would guess, come to salvation under his preaching. And the, the story goes that he would worship as we did today. He would worship with the congregation um, as the worship went on. And then he would um, go up these stairs because the pulpit was raised because obviously so many people and his voice had to carry in. So they had the pulpit quite high. And so he'd go up this circular staircase to the pulpit before he'd preach. And it said that with every step that he took, he would say these words, I believe in the Holy Spirit. 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 He understood that if he was going to preach with any sort of power, it had to be the power of the Holy Spirit that was working through him. But friends, we are not just the sharers of the gospel. We're not just the proclaimers of the gospel. We are that. And I hope you, you kind of um, you ask God for opportunities. When you meet somebody who's not yet a follower of Christ, one of the prayers that you should be asking is, God, hey, won't you give me an opportunity to share the gospel with this person? And it'll be amazing how God will weave the conversation until suddenly the person will ask something and you'll go, ah, that's the entry for me to begin to talk about Jesus. Maybe they ask about, you know, um, whatever, your sickness or um, maybe they ask about your family and there's an opportunity, a testimony in there that you can get to bring the gospel in. But we're not only the proclaimers of the gospel, we are obviously the recipients of the gospel as well. We've received this good news as well. And uh, when Paul says that I've resolved to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified, he wasn't just talking about his preaching. He was talking about his living. He was talking about his doctrine, his experience, and his faith walk. And I want to talk about how in those three areas we need to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. And our doctrine number one. Any doctrine that does not have as its foundation and does not point to the finished work of Christ upon the cross is not worthy of being called Christian. People can talk, they, they can take some of our Christian words and use them for all sorts of things. And, and it's like we get tempted to think, oh, well, this new idea is Christian because they use words like redemption or salvation. There was a, you guys remember the story about those Chilean miners that were trapped. I think it was 2010. They were, the mine collapsed and all those Chilean miners were trapped in there and it became a worldwide story. And people wondered, would they be rescued or would they die? Would this, would this mine become their tomb? And uh, if you remember the story, they were rescued. And all around the world, the headlines told about the story. The English newspapers, those in England, the headlines, these were literally the headlines after the rescue took place. Salvation, declared one. 
reborn, declared another one. Miracle, declared another one. It had, well, I mean, God was obviously involved in it, but it had nothing to do with the gospel message of salvation that they were proclaiming. And yet they took these gospel words and they used them for this message. And if it's so easy for secular communication to take those words and use them, how, much, how easy would it be for people to take so-called Christian teachings that have got nothing to do with the gospel, that have got nothing to do with the cross of Christ and Christ, and Christ crucified, and, um, and put them forward as, as the gospel? There's so many teachings out there. Um, today, you, could, I mean, you can leave the meeting today and log on to 25 different preachers around the world, some of the most gifted preachers. Um, maybe some of you do that. I've never understood why people do that. Um, um, but you might that's fine if you want to do that it's, if that's what you want to spend your afternoon doing and, and you could there's so many books and most of the doctrines and the things that are taught in, by these people in this book most of them are wonderful some are diabolical and we have to guard ourselves we have to navigate through those things so that we don't drift from the truth and I want to give you one rule that you can hold on to that you can know whether a doctrine is um, of God, scriptural, or it's not. And any doctrine that denies, listen to this, or makes secondary the full truth of Jesus Christ and Him crucified is like the adulterous woman from Proverbs chapter 5. And Proverbs chapter 5 says that that woman is, uh, is someone whose feet go down to death. If you follow her, you're following her down to death. It says her steps lead straight to the grave. That's what those doctrines are like. They're like clouds without water. They promise something, but they never deliver. And so one of the things, the first things you've got to check is, does, does this teaching, does it exalt Christ? Does it point us to Christ and Him crucified? The crucifixion is never popular. The crucifixion is never popular because it demands that we acknowledge that we can do nothing for our salvation. See, everyone wants to be able to come and say, like, I've given something towards this. It's like, imagine somebody calls you and says to you, um, Clive, come with me. I, I, there's something I want to show you. And, we, and I take Clive and I take him to whatever. Where's, wherever the biggest house is in Bulawayo. Like, double that size. Double garden. 20 boreholes. You know, Jenny's and solar power. Like, everything. Like, perfect. And, I, and, I, and I, we drive up this long driveway like this. And Clive goes and he goes, Yo, this place is amazing. And I say, Clive, buddy, this is yours. It's a gift. Clive says, what? And he, he opens these big doors in this massive entrance area. And it leads out to this infinity pool at the back like this. And, and this garden is bigger than anything he's ever seen. This giraffe and zebra in his garden. Clive's like, his mind's blowing. He can't believe what he's been given. He goes upstairs and the bedrooms are massive. And there's like whatever, 60-inch TVs in every bedroom. And, and um, he's like, he says, oh, this is unbelievable. And he, and he reaches into his pocket and he goes, I've got to give you something. I, I mean, I can't just, like, yeah, yeah, yes, 10 rand. You're like, like, you're like, what are you talking about, 10 rand? You, you know what you've been given here. And sometimes we come to Christ and he's given us salvation. And we come in and we say, can I give you the 10 rand of my good works? Can I give you the 10 rand of my attendance at church? Can I give you the 10 rand of I had a quiet time this morning? What? See, see, the cross takes us to the place where we can bring nothing. We either come completely empty-handed to receive what he gives us, or you don't come at all. And so we're brought to our knees. We are humbled. Every other religion, you can do something. 
Every other religion somehow props up the pride of men, but not the gospel, not this message. You must come. As Isaac Watts wrote in that hymn I quoted, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Is it, it's very little wonder that the more that we think of ourselves as human beings, the less we think of the crucifixion. And boy, do we think of ourselves a lot these days. We are so impressed with ourselves. We, have, uh, we feel like we've conquered nature. We've, the, the, if anything, this coronavirus should remind us, no matter how quickly that vaccine has come and things like that, we are not in control. We should not be so impressed with ourselves and everything that we've achieved. Instead, we should acknowledge that we are the creatures, that we have been the enemies of God and we've been saved by His grace. Number two, we resolve to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified in your experience. If you leave church today or any day, if you come out of worship or the preaching of the Word, thinking that the Word has exalted you, thinking more about yourself, um, and I'm talking about it in a self-righteous, prideful sort of way. I'm not talking about the way in which a, a child feels accepted and loved and full of confidence because he's met, been with his father. I'm talking about like, wow, I'm something pretty impressive. You know those preachers that when you hear the preach, you think, whoa, I'm amazing like this. Then the gospel hasn't been preached to you. If you leave a meeting or a time of worship thinking I'm a worm and I'm a nothing and I'm, I'm, I'm disgusting, then you haven't had the gospel preached to you. Paul once wrote a letter to a community where he had gone to preach the gospel that had been given to him by Jesus, and he rebuked them. He said to them that they, he said, he said, you've turned to a different gospel. And he says, actually, that is no gospel at all. And in this letter, he writes to them, and he says, oh, that's something else. I thought my timer was on already. <laughs> in this letter, he writes to them, and he says to them, he says, you, but you've experienced the gospel. Not just you know the gospel. You, know, you, know, you didn't just get the rules and the, like the 10 points of the God, whatever. You experienced the gospel. He says to them, he said, You've, you, did you not receive, um, the, uh, the, see the miracles of God by the power of the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Spirit by obeying the law or do you receive it by faith? He says, and then he goes on and he says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. See, the experience of the gospel is freedom. If we are robbed of freedom, we have not heard the gospel. If we, are, if, we, um, if we don't walk in freedom, both from legalism, that legalism is a disgusting dungeon that the devil wants to lock you in, the keeping of rules and laws, or on the other side, if you've, got, if you've been bitten by the poison of licentiousness that's constantly robbing you of true life, if either of those are your places and not the freedom of this, this road of grace, you've not had the gospel preached to you and you're not living in the fullness of the gospel. You don't know you're knowing something other than Christ and Him crucified in your experience. We've, been, we, we've developed a discipleship guide that we're working through um, in our church in Dubai. And the, the first three weeks of it are just about grace, about what Christ has done. Like it's a past part of our salvation. And sometimes as I'm going through it with guys, they want to jump into, so what must I do now? How, how, how many times do I need to read the Bible? How many chapters? How much must I pray? What happens if I miss church? I say, shh. I said, we haven't got there yet. We're just dealing with what Jesus has done. We're just dealing with who you are now in Jesus Christ. It's a little bit like, like you're walking along and up a mountain and you pause for a moment and you look back. And down the mountain in the valley is the prison that you used to be in. 
and you were locked in there and you were, it was miserable and there was no light and it was awful. And now you look around and you think, yo, I tell you, I can't believe how beautiful Bulawayo is. These trees and the sky. Dubai is now 40 degrees. Um, our trees grow like, like, like five meters maximum and then that's it. You know what I mean? Like we, it's so beautiful here. And imagine you're on this mountain, snow-capped, and it's just beauty all around you. And you think, I used to be there in that prison, now where I am. Look what Christ has done. And every now and again, we need to look back on our salvation, and we need to know, Jesus has set me free. He's done it. Like, today is not a day of worrying about all the things I've got to do, walking in holiness and obedience and all of those things. Today is just a day. Jesus, you've done amazingly. Thank you what you've done for me. Jesus shouts to us, it is finished. Number three, I've resolved to know nothing, and I hope you do as well, except Christ and Him crucified in your faith walk. The word crucified in 1 Corinthians 2 is in the perfect tense. So if you remember from your English class, you probably don't know because I didn't. I had to look this up as well, don't worry. It means that it's something that's happened in history. There was a moment when it happened, but its effects continue today. You can understand that, hey. So it happens, like something's happened and there's no effect of it today. But this thing happened in, the, in history, and now you continue to feel the effects of it today. And that's what it means when he says Christ crucified. It happened, and it still continues in its effect today. Jesus is and always will be the crucified one. See, it's not that he went to the cross, did the cross, and then left it behind. And it's not that we come to the cross, and then we leave it behind. The cross applies to our lives as much today as it does on Easter, or it, does on the day, or it did on the day that we bent our knee and received Christ as our Lord and Savior. When Thomas um, was missing from the room when Jesus appeared, and he comes back into the room and the other disciples say, the Lord appeared to us. And Thomas goes, you remember his words, no, I don't believe that. I won't believe it until I get to put my fingers in his hands, the holes in his hand, and, and my hand in the scar on his side. Oh, careful what you say. The next thing that happens is Jesus appears before Thomas and says, Thomas, here I am. And he holds out his hands. In his, he's, he's in his resurrection body. Resurrection, his glorified body. His glorified body. And the holes are in his hands still. And the wound is in his side. He will forever bear those scars, not as a sign of defeat, but as a sign of victory. He will forever be the crucified one. Thomas falls to his feet and says, I worship you, my Lord. John is in heaven and he and he's weeping because no one's found to open the scroll. And an angel says, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah has been found further, worthy to open the scroll. And so he turns around looking to see the lion of the tribe of Judah. And what does he see? He says, it says in the scripture that he sees one looking, a lamb looking as though as, as it had been slain. Jesus is forever the lion of the tribe of Judah and also the lamb who was slain. The cross continues. So often, like the Corinthians, we want to come to the cross and then leave it behind. There's something humiliating about the cross. There's something like, I want to be powerful, Lord. I want to, I want to be able to stand upon my own two feet and depend upon my own holiness and my own righteousness and be able to walk and be able to say to people, like, I'm, I'm holy and I'm powerful now. Instead, we have to go, I'm, I'm wholly dependent upon Jesus. I'm utterly grateful for the cross in my life today. I need it today. I need it tomorrow. I need it every day until I come to Jesus Christ. So many people want to depend upon their own goodness or their own power, and there's always a limit to it. Some years ago, we had our house broken into in South Africa, which obviously is nothing unusual. It's a bit of a national sport in South Africa, breaking into houses. I think we'd win the World Cup. 
Anyway, we, we had no security in our house. We just had burglar guards. We had no wall, no gates, um, no alarm, nothing. And they broke into this house. And um, then my wife said, I was away. She phoned me out to come back and said, look, we've got to do something. We've got to put a wall up. And I said, hey, baby, okay, I'll put the wall up because it's going to make you feel better. But I'm only doing it because I know it can't protect us. I know that if God doesn't protect us, it doesn't matter what else we do. I want to be wise. I'm gonna, I, we did put a wall up and we did put a gate up and all of that sort of stuff. But I knew that if somebody wanted to get over my wall, they could get over my wall. If I had an alarm system, they could get around it. If I had burglar guards, they could kick them in like they did the last time or peel away my tiles and climb through the roof or whatever it is. I was settled on this fact that if God didn't protect me, I couldn't protect myself, no matter what I did. And there's other things that we rely upon that are ultimately limited and we show in our faith walk that, we, we, that Christ isn't enough for us. Christ is everything we sing, but do we actually live it? A.W. Tozer says, Christians don't lie except when they, when they sing songs. <laughs> things that are limited are our bank accounts, our, our passports. Some people think, like, if I could just get a... You know, if I could just get an Irish passport like Sean, then, I'm, then I'd be done. I'd be made. You know what I mean? This, we call ours the Green Mamba, the South African passport. It only seems to get you into countries where there used to be a dictator or there currently is a dictator. Other than that, you've got to get a visa. But all of those countries, which seems to be where God calls me anyway, I'm able to go. Um, and some people think, well, they come to me and say, look, I'm moving to Australia because I need to get a passport for my children. It can only take you so far. If your children aren't looked after by God, if their future is not in His hands, this isn't going to bring it all the way for you. Our bank account, our, our, our master's degree, or whatever it is that we depend upon, we're showing that we have not known, we, we don't know Christ and Him crucified in our faith walk. See, the problem is that whatever we put in place, that we set up, um, it becomes our virtual Savior. It's our bank account that becomes our Savior. It's our passport that becomes our savior. It's our master's degree that becomes our savior. And we start to renegotiate with the ideas of salvation and redemption and peace as something separate from Jesus Christ. We, we, we believe that, that headline for the Chilean miners, that there's some salvation we can have other than in Jesus Christ. And uh, Isaiah writes, and he says that when you, when he said to Israel, when you depend upon Egypt, it's like leaning upon a reed. Egypt, this great nation with a powerful, what, what, what did Egypt have? King or emperor or whatever it is. Pharaoh, that's what it was. When you depend upon Egypt, it's like leaning upon a reed. And he says that reed will snap or will, will shatter and pierce your hands like this. Friends, when you lean on anything with your full weight, that should be the weight that we put upon Christ and Him crucified, it will splinter and pierce your hand and will do you more damage in the end than... than um, then the difficulty you're in, we have to lean upon Jesus Christ. In contrast to that self-focused life, Paul invites us to live a life that's utterly focused on and identified with Christ. In Galatians 2, verse 20 to 21, which was the church that Paul was writing to when he said, you've had an experience of the gospel. Why are you turning back? He says, and I'm reading from the message translation, or paraphrase, it's not even a translation, so this won't, Line up exactly with your Bible. Galatians 2, 20 to 21. Paul says this. I identified myself completely with him. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer in control. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you 
or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I am not going to go back on that. We sang that song this morning, didn't we? I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. I wonder if you know where that song's from. Do you know which, which country that song was written in? Anybody want to throw out a guess as to what country it come from? There's a prize if you get it right. Anyone want to hazard a guess what country it comes from? Where, where was that song written? Come on, you've got, somebody's thinking America, because that's got to be a... F- you 70%. Anyone for America? America. Simeon's going for America. Simeon's wrong. Where? Australia? Wrong. England? <coughs> wrong. India? India. The story goes with this song is that there was an Indian man who wrote it, which was later picked up. The song was later picked up by someone in America. And, but he had written this song, and this guy, it was translated into English, and he picked it up. But the story goes that this guy wrote the song because of a situation that had happened in one of the villages in India. And uh, the gospel had come into the village and there, were, there was a family that had come to Christ. And the chief was so incensed by the fact that they were worshipping this other God that he brought the family before, before him, the husband, the wife, and the two sons, and said to them, you, uh, you need to um, turn your back on this new God. And he, he said this, and this is where the guy gets I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. And they shot his two sons with arrows, and they died. And he said, you need to turn your back on Jesus. This is apparently a true story. And he said, I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. And they killed his wife. They said, we'll give you one more chance. Turn your back on Jesus. He said, I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. There's no turning back. And they killed him. So as we sing the song, as we think about what it means to be Christian, it's not about turning up church on a Sunday and just, you know, kind of be, we have, we've chosen to follow Jesus. We've chosen to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified in the way that we love our husbands and our wives and do our marriages and the way that we raise our children in the way that we deal with our finances and the way that we, we do our jobs and the way that we see the world around us and the way that we interpret everything that is going on. I will know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. Can I pray with you, please? And I'm with one minute to spare. Bro, can we sing that song again? Won't the worship team come up if you don't mind? And I'm going to pray for us while they make their way up. You guys did an amazing job. Uh, Still in your song sheets. That would be good. for you okay won't you won't you uh, won't you stand with me I'm going to pray over you friend if you've um, if you've come here this morning maybe you go to church often but you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you have a conviction in your heart that that you've not made that faith decision to receive him as your Lord and Savior then this morning 
I want you to, um, I want you to please come and see me after the meeting and say, Rob, can you pray for me to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior? And I'll, I'll pray with you. And if there's three or four of you, I'll take the time as long as it takes to pray that prayer with you and lead you into that relationship with Christ. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no initiation. There's no list you've got to remember or understand. You only have to call upon Jesus Christ and recognize His death alone upon the cross and His resurrection sufficient to pay for our sins so that we can be forgiven and nothing else can save us. For the rest of us, I want to pray this morning where you've lost your focus on Jesus Christ. Where other things have crowded in, as uh, Jason, I think, said this morning, that other, my career had become more important. Now this morning, we, we, we make this declaration that that Indian man, we were joking the other day, Clive and I, about him planting a church in India. He was doing this. That Indian man, a nobody, nobody knows his name. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Father, I pray this morning that you would take the word of the cross, this gospel message this morning, and you would like um, infuse our souls with it, Lord God, our minds and our hearts and our spirits. I pray, Lord God, that every other thing that is occupying the place in those parts of our being, Lord God, would be pushed out as the gospel is pressed in, Lord God. I pray this morning there would be this fresh exhortation, this fresh understanding, Lord God, that, that, that Christ is enough. It's not just the words of a song. It truly, it's truth for us, Lord God. It's, he's enough in Zimbabwe. He's enough in my family. He's enough in my marriage. He's enough in my finances. He's enough in the food on my table. He's enough. He's enough. He's enough. He's everything. And I pray over this church, Lord God, and over these people that are here, that they would know, that they would choose, they would resolve to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified in their doctrines, in their experience, and in their faith walk. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.